Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. For what you're doing in this place. Lord, you have been so faithful. You've been so good to this house. You have served an excellent table and we never want to miss, not even one moment of your of your reality in this place as you continue to pour out greater and greater uh, food, spiritually speaking, and fellowship, and, and all your goodness is upon us, Lord. Surely we have seen your mercy. We have seen your hand in our lives. We've seen as you've directed our steps, Lord, and you have taught us your ways, Lord. So we pray that you would continue to speak to us, Lord, the things that concern our life and, and your purpose for our life, Lord. We give you thanks for the healing you brought this weekend at the marriage conference, Lord. And it's only the beginning, Father God, of what you desire in the lives of the families that are here, Lord. So prosper your words and give us an understanding of your truth this morning so that we could attain to the fullness of what you have for us in this season of our life. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say that for some people, and I was listening to somebody say, it wasn't until I got to your church that I understood the importance of family. Because it seems like you'll go to another church, you'll go to another spiritual place, and they pretty much don't make much issue of family. In fact, the churches where I come from, uh, the lead singer would get divorced from her husband and leave her children and marry the bass player, and he had children and a wife, and and they would continue playing Christianity. They would continue to lead worship in in church after such a devastating blow. But let me tell you, the heart of God is so far from that destruction. The heart of God begins in the book of Genesis where he creates man. It was his idea. The women asked themselves, where did man come from? Can you say with me, man came from God. It was his idea. Now, obviously, man has fallen from his ways, and we have seen him in the worst of light. But there, when God created man, he also created woman, and he put them together and joined these two to such a degree that the Bible says, for this reason shall two be joined as one. God has that purpose from the beginning. It's not something, I remember being invited years ago to to a local program here in Miami, and they had all these doctors and psychologists, and they said, where does the marriage come from? And one one woman says, marriage was made up by by man, the male chauvinist pig who wants to take and, and suppress and oppress woman. It's an institution made by men on purpose to ruin women. And that's so far from the truth. Man did not create marriage. And I was on the program, and when they, they talked to me, and they said that marriage was something that was created in the 1600s and the 1500s, I said, no. The first man had one woman, and he was joined together with his wife, Adam and Eve, and they had children, Cain and Abel. And after that came the other men like Noah and his wife and their children and their wives. So the institution of marriage starts from the very beginning because it is started, it initiates and founded in the heart of God. And while we have fallen greatly from this reality, if you go back to the beginning, the heart of God has not changed for this relationship. God has created man and woman. And he didn't create them separately and apart from each other. He created them for each other. He created them to be joined as one. And that's that's our purpose. That's the end result. 
And then some people say, well, it's an old institution. Surely it has to be no good in modern times. Surely after, after the passage of 6,000 years, we have to come out with a new form of relating man and woman. But I can tell you no, because in Revelations 19, the last book in the Bible, God finishes his creation with a marriage covenant. In chapter 19, verse 6, we see the verse, 19, verse 7, Revelations 19, 7, this expert God who put this relationship together says like this, let us rejoice and shout for joy. Let us celebrate and give God all the glory and the honor because the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has prepared herself. So at the beginning we see Adam and Eve initiating a marriage covenant before God. He joined them together so that they could fulfill God's purpose. And then we see in Revelations, the last book of the Bible, and what starts out eternity for us, the beginning of our experience in eternity, begins the same way, where we will be married to Christ. We will be joined to Him, and the same thing is fulfilled. So what takes place in the physical realm here on earth is only a shadow and a type of the reality that will be our eternity forever and ever. Some people have thrown in the towel to marriage. Some men have decided that marriage is not for them. But let me tell you, in the old adage of the Jewish faith, you weren't even a man until you got married. They wouldn't even consider you mature, an able-bodied person. And it makes sense because what Wellington Boone told us was that man is only half a man until woman comes into his life. Then he becomes a fool. God called them Adam. God called them the fullness of man. I believe that all the attributes that are found in a woman are so necessary for our existence as man so that we could fulfill the call of God in our lives, the accountability, the service. You can't serve yourself. That is, that is the greatest destruction that could befall any man. In James chapter 3, verse 16, it says like this, wherever there is selfishness, wherever there is self seeking wherever you're looking out for yourself there is the beginning of confusion and every evil thing is there so these men who says a man is an island he doesn't need anybody else he's a lone ranger he's a superman he's a demon he's unable to struggle with his personal identity because your identity is godlike and God is a generous, God is a giving, God is a serving being. He likes to share what he has with others. But when you are standing on your own stead and you said, I don't need my woman, I don't need my wife. How many marriages come to an end when the man says, I don't need you? That's the biggest lie a man has ever said. You will never be a man. You will never come into the fullness of what God prepared until you begin to, to serve that woman the way that God serves us. To give to that woman like God gives us. And here throughout the whole Bible, we have so many examples in relationship. Because throughout the whole Bible, we see good marriages, we see solid men of God, and then we see horrible beginnings. And we must become expert that thing matters because this is the hope that our children would have. There's so much in the Bible written as to this institution. We see Rebecca and Isaac, Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rachel, David and Abigail. We see all these relationships coming together with purpose. The greatest experience that we can have 
as human beings is making this reality. We have to be experts in this reality. We all start with a, with a physical attraction to somebody else. But see, if you are flesh, flesh begets flesh and you can only take the relationship to a carnal level. You might be able to hold hands. You might be able to kiss. You might be able to, to, uh, to relate on a physical realm. But let me tell you something. We are much more than physical. We are spiritual beings first. We're going to see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It was there that God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let them have complete authority. Let them rule the earth. And so he created them, verse 27 says. He says, so he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. That's chapter 1. But what do we see in chapter 2? As God begins to take the man, in verse 18, he says it's not good that man would be alone. So he begins to, to form the woman. Let's go back before that. It's really important that we would be able to see how God, it says he, he created man first, but then afterwards it says that he took, in chapter 2, verse 7, this is the following chapter. The Bible says that God bent down and he took the dust of the earth and formed man. He had already created man, now he formed man. One thing is spirit, the other is physical. And while we have dealt with the physical realm of who we are, we hardly ever deal with who we truly are, which is our spiritual existence. And so you go around joining yourself to someone who on the outside is physically attracted, but on the inside is super unfaithful or unfit for the relationship. You were attracted on the physical realm to these people by a photograph you saw, and you say, I'm in love with the other woman. I'm in love with this woman that I just saw. I'm in love with this man who, who just blew me away because I saw his blue eyes. I saw his dark complexion. I saw his muscles. And you're looking on the outside, but what was on the inside? Someone severely flawed. Someone severely hurt. Somebody severely wounded. I would say that some men are even quadriplegic. You know what a quadriplegic is, right? Somebody paralyzed from the neck down. Somebody who's unable to respond. And while you have expectations for this man to do things, he has an inability because of a disability in his spirit from, the, from his childhood. And there it says, God formed man out of the dust of the earth. And then, not only was, are we spiritual components that God formed out of the dust, but then it says, he breathed his nostrils. He breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The translation says living soul. Our emotions, our will, our feelings, are that aspect of who we are that abides in this physical realm. You could have guys that are, that are muscular, that are good looking on the outside, but in the inside they're midget souls. They're midget spirits. They don't have the fullness of what God intended a man to have. Why? Because they haven't grown in the spirit. When these women say, my, my husband is like a child. You're not talking about the outside. The guy has a beard. He's been shaving for years. He's been, he's been capable. He drives a car. 
He's over 18. He does a lot of things as an adult. But she's talking about his spirit. She's talking about something inside. His likes and dislikes have stunted. I remember one time we were celebrating a, a, a friend of mine, a cousin of mine. We were at his birthday party. And I had taken Yvette, and we were already married, and we go over there to the birthday party of a 25-year-old young man. 25-year-old cousin. He's my same age. And we went over to his birthday, but his parents had gotten divorced when he was eight years old. And so from the time he was eight years old, he did not develop emotionally. He did not develop spiritually. He got hurt because of the devastation of his parents. So we went to his birthday party. He's turning 25 years old. And a lot of people had given him money in envelopes. And he grabbed all that money. And you'd figure that he would say something mature. You would say, figure that he would, he would speak words of, of the mature adult tradition. And you know what he says? Yeah, I'm going to buy a surfboard. I'm going to buy a surfboard. And my Yvette at the time looked at him. And she says, Joaquin. What is wrong with this guy? He's acting like he's 12. Yes, he was. Inside, he had never developed. He had never matured. He had never grown up. So the very first basis of understanding marriage is that God had instituted marriage for a man. This institution of marriage, of coming together, and that's why I marvel at these uh, big, strong Powerful man says, Pastor, oh, you got a deep voice. Uh, I want to get married. Well, brother, let's, let's talk a little bit about your manhood. Where do you work? I don't. How are you going to provide? My mother. Where are you guys going to live? My mom. No. Marriage requires maturity. Marriage requires that way before you enter into this relationship, you would at a minimal have taken personal responsibility because you are inviting a woman to come into your life to share with your vision, like he said, with your spiritual leadership, with your vision for the home. You don't have to keep on calling your mom and saying, Mom, what should we do? Should we have kids now or not? Mom, what should we do? Where shall I go? Who shall I be with? These are all settled matters because you would have heard from who? From God. I was talking with uh, Bill Gothard, I believe it was years ago. He says there's three areas of the walk of a man that he must have prior to getting married. And I, I hadn't heard these things, but the first one was a personal faithfulness and walk with God. First, walking with God, hand in hand, knowing God, walking with God, sharing with God. Secondly, a developed fruits of your labor. The Bible put man in the garden way before he was married. And there he was able to assign names and define reality. And he told the horse, you're a horse, and the giraffe, you're a giraffe. And he was keeping and guarding the garden he was, he was faithful in his endeavors. He was responsible to God. And Bill Gothard said the second thing a man needs before he gets married is to develop the land, to develop crops, to develop harvest, to know what to do with, ready for this? He told me, to have the wisdom to know what to do with the gold and the silver. 
Because man had these resources before he got married. He was able to find the gold mines. He was able to find the silver mines. He was able to extract from the earth the benefit that he might be able to show him forth himself forth responsible. He's able. He doesn't need somebody to teach him because he's learned. He's walked faithful with God. God has guided him in fruitfulness. God has given him great resources. And then finally and lastly, he says the third thing a man needs is to have wisdom to know his purpose in life. To know where God is calling him to. Because if you're not knowing where God is calling you to, you haven't received your celestial call. You haven't received that instruction. Surely when your wife comes along your side and says, what am I to help you with? And he will tell her, I don't know. Let's ask my mother. I don't know. Let's ask the news. Let's ask society. Let's ask the culture. So those three things of walking with God, obtaining resources with wisdom, gold and silver resources, being able to be profitable and fruitful, and finally knowing your eternal destiny, your calling, your spiritual, having heard from God. And we haven't heard these things. We're learning them now in the house of God. And thank God our children are learning these things. They are preparing themselves to be the head and not the tail. They're not wandering around without knowing what they're going through. And so Bill Gothard, as he shared those things, he says, then, then God will bring a perfect helper. And this her perfect helper will be for the purpose of helping man with three areas of his life. Which one do you think it is? One, his day-to-day -day walk with God. It's not cleaning clothes. It's not doing laundry. It's not doing the dishes. It's being that compatible friend, that companion that will help you with your walk with God. Of course, there's the physical aspect, but that's not why God put us together. Many women believe that that's their only purpose. That's why they don't want to get married. I'm not going to get married to wash his underwears. I'm not going to get married to this man to be cleaning his dishes and to take out the trash for him while he watches TV. No. Your purpose is to help your man walk with God, not be a hindrance, but edify his personal walk and devotion with God. More important than any other thing in the life of a man is his relationship with God, because that will determine where he's headed. It will determine what he does. And many of us have gotten girls that are, but they don't help you walk with God. They distract you. They hinder you. They pull you away from your devotion to God. They want you to become part of the affairs of this world. They, they get you trapped up in like Samson when he chose Delilah. She was all caught up into another affair and she destroyed that man. She held him captive. He wasn't free to serve the Lord. He wasn't free to go after the calling of God for his life. So a woman is to first come and join man so he, she could be helpful with his spiritual walk. Have you ever seen a woman being able to help a man with his spiritual walk who doesn't have a spiritual walk? Can a woman help a man pray if she doesn't pray? Can, he, can she be the refreshing joy in his life if she's always bitter and upset and sad? Because the fullness of joy and pleasure is in the presence of God. So a woman must grow in her relationship with Jesus Christ first. She must be strong and vibrant. A virtuous woman is to be praised. She's more greatly to be cherished 
than all other women. And you'll see the other two focuses of a woman in Proverbs 31 where it says beauty is vain and charm a deceit. But we've made expert women. They all know how to be attractive on the outside. They're not spiritual. They don't know godliness. They don't seek the things of God. They're easily taken into the things of this world. That's not what God needs. I praise the name of Jesus that my wife is a godly woman. I praise the name of the Lord that it had not been for Yvette, we probably wouldn't even have this church. We would not have been able to fulfill the call of God in our life if God had not raised up a, a virtuous, spiritual, godly woman who was very um, godly and spiritual and personal even before I met her. This is not something you do just because you get an engagement ring. It's not something you do because all of a sudden you have a wedding plan. No, it's way before in the development of, of your character as a woman, knowing that one day God shall add you to join a man to be an asset and not a liability, to be a spiritual substance and not just a little physical adornment. So the first thing is a woman would help a man with his daily walk with the Lord, his personal devotion, not being a hindrance. Two, that she would come along his side to help him steward or administer his fruitfulness as he increases in labor as he is able to open up new ways of creativity that she begins to know how to manage his affairs and not be spendthrift and not be seeking things that that instead of replenish deplete the assets of 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 a man you remember that old woman who says when i when i met my husband he was a multimillionaire. And now he's just a millionaire. When I met my husband, he was a multimillionaire. Now he's just a millionaire. Some, someone who comes that has no wisdom, has no, no understanding of God. And then thirdly, that this woman would help this man fulfill the calling of God. First his walk, then administer his resources, and third of all, attain to the purpose of God for their lives. Remember, it is spirit, it is soul, it is flesh. The union has to happen that way, and it's difficult for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, I believe, 17, it says, He who joins himself to Christ is one spirit with him. He who is joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. And those very verses Paul is saying, he who is joined to a prostitute is one spirit with her. Many times on the outside we say, he's good looking. She's good looking. But I challenge you to go a little bit deeper than the physical looks like the Bible teaches us to find out what's happening in the spirit realm. Find out what's happening. And how do you do that? You determine it by her relationship with her parents. You determine it by his relationship with his parents. You determine his faithfulness in serving God in spirit. What is the fruitfulness to a God who's given everything? And there's no fruitfulness? There's no faithfulness? Don't be joined to that spirit. Don't be joined to a spirit that is not a godly spirit. A spirit that, that serves the purpose of honoring God. And so he says... In verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality 
is sinning against his own body. We don't understand that. Just like the Bible teaches us how to have an excellent union, and many people are all into this marriage thing because of sex. They want to get married to have sex. They want to get together to have intimacy. But that, that, that's, that's the last and drawn out scenario in a relationship. First, you're to be joined in the spirit. Then you're to be joined in the soul. And then finally, after you're in the ceremony and you get married, and tonight we will be renewing the vows, after you've been joined in the spirit, after you've been joined in the soul, then you become one in the consummation of marriage. A lot of people are, are involving themselves without even knowing and having sexual intimacy with people they don't know. They're attracted on the outside. They're getting into bed with demons. I remember that was the first thing God showed me the day I got saved. We had gotten saved a couple of weeks when all of a sudden we started having Bible studies at our house and the front door on a Saturday morning Bible study. Somebody knocked on the door and I went. I was 16 years old and I ran to the door and as I opened the door, this beautiful girl was there. I was 16. She must have been 19. And I said, wow, in Christianity, there's good-looking girls too. I, said, I got excited. I said, wow, I didn't know that pretty girls came to these Bible studies. They came to church. And I was like, woohoo! And so I, I said, come in. The Bible study's about to start. And I sat her down. And we had the Bible study, and everything went well. And I kept on looking over there. I said, wow, I'm really into this Christianity. There's pretty girls coming. And all of a sudden, the end of the Bible study, we all held hands and we all came together to pray. When all of a sudden that pretty girl dove headfirst into the ground and when she turned around, she was so full of demons, I couldn't believe it. And I took off running. And there for the next two hours, they were taking demons out of her. And she was contorted and her body was full of a lifetime of real ungodly acts that had filled her with demons. And so now, from now on, as I walked around school and the university and I saw pretty girls, I said, leave me alone, young lady. I don't know who's inside of you. I don't want to bring you to my church and have you freak out there in front of all the people and get real ugly. Because we have to understand that it's inner beauty that God wants us to pursue. The Bible says in 1 uh, Timothy 2.9, it says it's that inner beauty that God is looking for. The inner beauty that God wants us to pursue, 1 Timothy 2.9. Likewise, in the old days, women adorned themselves modestly with propriety and moderation, not with, with ostentious look, braiding their hair, gold and pearls, and costly clothing. We're not to, to dress the outside. We're to figure the inside, 1 Peter 3.3. Your beauty should not come from the outward adornment. You shouldn't be impressing people from what you got on the outside. We're not to be looking at these things. Do not let your beauty just be merely outward. Trust me, we believe in the outside too, but, but more important, the inside. Look what he says following this in verse 4. Instead, it should be the hidden person of the heart. The beauty that doesn't corrupt the gentle and quiet spirit. The things that God considers beautiful and precious. This is what God is looking for. What, what is that condition on the inside that allows you to be truly a blessing to your husband-to-be or your husband you already have? It's the way you speak. It's the way you 
you live life. In Isaiah 3.24, we have a horrible depiction of a woman who has concentrated so much on the outside that when she loses her outward beauty, she has nothing but a stench to offer men. And you'll see that this woman cannot get married. She can't find a man because she's concentrated the whole time on the outside. She has a great job. She has a great car. She has a great house. She has gold and silver. She's able to accomplish things on the exterior, Isaiah 3.24. But instead of being attractive, she's a stench. Instead of having a sweet smell, instead of being attractive to her husband, he wants to get her away. He doesn't want to come home. Instead of there being a fragrance, there's a stench. Instead of a sash and a robe, instead of well-said hair, there's baldness. Instead of a rich robe and girding sackcloth, branding instead of beauty. These are the women in this world. They think that they're attractive because of the quality of the clothes they can afford. Because of the brands they could wear. And the Bible says that these women end up in a horrible. Verse 26. Your man shall fall by the sword. Her gates shall lament and mourn. And she shall be sitting desolate on the ground. You know what that means? Alone. Alone. Because as God is making these unions, it's to become profitable. It's to become fruitful. It's to grow. It's not to, to go backwards. God is teaching us all these things, and it's powerful. As he teaches us not only how to, how to walk in these manners. In Psalm 127, verse 1, God promises if, he doesn't, if he's not the one to build these things, you are trying in vain. If God is not the one, unless the Lord builds the house, those who try to build these things will not be able to do so. That's why when some people say, well, why do you go to church so much? Because church is good. Church is a place to learn. Church is a place to grow. Church is a place to get to the place I need to be. And the people that don't come to this place, they're just walking in blindness. You'll see Ecclesiastes chapter 4 has an incredible verse in verse 9. Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Isn't it better to be alone? Isn't it better not to have these problems? No. Two is better than one. This morning as I woke up, I was freezing cold. I remember that verse. Two is better than one. Because when one is cold, the other one keeps him warm. Because they have great reward for their labor. It's so sad that two people come together to love each other, to join each other, to start a family together, to live as companions in this world, and they're their worst enemies. They're their worst friends. They're the worst people to come together to find out what God would have them do. Verse 10. For if they fall, the one will lift up his companion. When one is down, the other one's supposed to lift them up. Not when one is down, you're supposed to step on them. Not when one falls, you're supposed to kick them in the face. Not when one is, is hindering in his path, you leave them abandoned and behind. No. It's so that you can help him get up. But to woe, woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Verse 11. Again, if two lie down, then they have warmth. But how can one warm himself alone? You know, I was thinking as I thought this morning, because it was physically cold in our room. It was physically cold. And I was thinking about this verse with regards to saying, hey, Yvette, come over here for a little hug. 
Come here and keep me warm because I'm freezing. And the Lord says, yeah, you look in the natural because you walk in the natural. But I'm talking about the supernatural. I'd rather you be hot or cold but not be lukewarm. He's talking about that your mate should keep you on his toes spiritually. We're not only to engage on a physical realm, we're to help each other spiritually so that when one is cold, the other one can keep him warm. When one starts lagging behind in his walk with the Lord, the other one says, hey, let's go to church. When one of them is lagging behind and being faithful in tithes and offering, the other one says, hey, you know something? Let's honor God so that we're helping one another because the Bible says it's not good that man should be alone. The two would come together to help each other to stand before God and keep warm lest he spew us out of his mouth, lest the judgment of God fall on our house. You guys remember Abigail was a great example of a young woman. David had sent a messenger to her, to her husband, Nabal. The word Nabal means a fool. And David says, Nabal, I have kept your house and your field safe for 10 years. And now I'm hungry and I'm expecting for you to feed me and my men. And he says, who is David? And who are his men that I should give him anything? So David said, boys, get your swords. We're going to go kill this man. So the judgment was coming over Nabal's life. He didn't even know it. But his wife was attentive to his affairs to do what? Not to criticize. Not to belittle. Not to root the enemy and say, get him, devil. Kill him. Destroy him. Chop his head off. He deserves it. No. She prepared food. She prepared drink. And she ran to David and to his men. And she knelt down on the ground. And she bowed down before him and she interceded. She prayed so that the judgment would not fall. And when David approached, he says, who are you? She says, I'm the wife of a foolish man. And I pray that the judgment that he deserves does not come upon his life. I pray that what he deserves, he doesn't get because I've brought you food for you and your men. And David said, blessed are you that you kept me from spilling blood. You kept me from from doing harm. A powerful woman of God has powerful power of influence for blessing over her house. She's the one that's able, like the Bible says in Proverbs 31, to watch over the affairs of her home. But it's not talking about the physical. Is there paper plates or there paper cups? It's the spiritual. Trying to find out where the devil's trying to get in. Trying to find out where the devil has, has enticed and bewitched and is pulling your husband to destruction, pulling your husband to the judgment of God. You women need to do that. You need to have that ability to passively and persuade your husband that he should reconsider the way he's going. It's very important that you would be useful for God in that manner. And so one will keep one warm. But how can you keep yourself warm alone? Verse 12, Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says, And though a man might prevail against him. Maybe somebody will be able to take advantage of us when we are alone. But when two stand with him, when two people come together, four eyes is better than two eyes. Four ears is better than two ears. That we could sit there and scope out the land and be of benefit to each other. And then it says a threefold cord, talking about God, is not quickly broken. 
it's tremendous that we see all throughout the Bible things that are going to help us do what God has called us to do with more excellence. And I want to encourage you not to let these things fall by the wayside. Don't sit there and listen to the devil's gospel that you're never going to be able to do it, that you don't know how to do it, that you don't know where to do it. Start coming and, and, and furthering your relationship with your walk with God. He's going to give you. I'm, I'm surprised by all the couples that have come to church this last three months and how God brought this world-changing marriage conference. I'm saying, Lord, you're so faithful. If they would have come last year in January, there was no provision. There wasn't provision for what they're going through. But God, knowing the provision, he brings them, and then he provides. And then there's somebody told me this morning, Pastor, if anybody doesn't get it from now on, they're just never going to get it. If they don't jump on to grab the lifeline of what God is sending, then I don't think it's ever going to happen. See, because even the Bible has information for us to know how to enjoy physical intimacy. And many of us have started with sexual relationships way before we got married. And that is the very basis of all the problems that have come afterwards. In Hebrews 13 verse 4, it says the marriage bed should be honored by all. We have a real corrupt mentality when it comes to sexuality and intimacy. That's only to be a matter that is furthered and fulfilled and experienced, ready for me, in marriage covenant. After you're married. This is something that blew me away when I first became a Christian. That's the first thing I heard. No marriage, no sex until you're married. I said, these people are crazy. How could you not have sex? I mean, God knows when I'll get married. And I said, they're crazy. These guys are a bunch of Martians. How could they expect us not to have sex until we get married? Well, I'll tell you one thing, guys, that the greatest thing that I ever did in my marriage is not to have sex until we got married. The greatest thing that ever happened between me and Yvette has been that those five years that we were getting to know each other, we did not engage in any type of intimacy in the, with regards to the marriage relationship. And so we were able to, to develop other areas of our lives. We were able to develop our, our spiritual walk. We were able to develop our, our, our friendship. We were able to spend time together speaking. It wasn't about experiencing something that was for a later time. And the Bible surely says that we're to understand that this marriage intimacy is for the marriage bed. But fornicators and adulterers will receive judgment. We don't understand those things. How do you imagine how many friends do you have that are engaging in sex without being married? How many do you imagine that did that before they got married? And so what they have upon their marriage, what they have upon their relationship is just judgment. It's the consequences of, of disobedience. It's the consequences of not having listened and abided by God's standards and His parameters of blessing. There's a whole onslaught of things that occur when you're engaging. Even these men who, who engage in sexual promiscuity with other men. Listen to me. I was in Peru last year and a young man was 21. He says, Pastor, my first sexual relationship experience was when I was 12 years old. I was with a woman who was 40. And I hated it so much and I decided right there that that type of relationship was not for me. So ever since that time I knew that I was a homosexual. I knew I was gay. And I said, young man, you don't have a clue. 
You don't have a clue because you were never supposed to be anywhere near a woman having sex at the age of 12. You weren't supposed to be engaging in this type of intimacy without respecting the laws of God and the order of the Lord for your benefit and your development, for your, for your blessing, for your peace of mind, for you to live life as God designed it. And you can't tell me that you're supposed to be who you are because you never did it God's way. I said, how successful would you be at being able to fly an airplane at the age of 12? He says, I wouldn't. It would surely be a devastation. It would be a crash. I would have gotten hurt. I said, the same way. Just because you had a bad experience at a young age doesn't mean that that's the way it's supposed to be done. That hurt your development. It hurt your life. It's not what God had planned. God's plans were to wait for you to become a mature adult before engaging in these matters. But that's not what we're taught today. We're taught to have sex first and then figure it out later. That's not God's order. My best friend got married to his wife because he got her pregnant. He was 19, she was 16. We were in high school. We had just finished high school. And he went out with her and got her pregnant. And we weren't Christians and I had become a Christian, but the baby was coming. So they decided to get married and move in with each other. And the baby came and they started their marriage relationship. And a year into their marriage, he got in an argument and in a fight with his wife and decided to, to leave the home that night. And he called an old girlfriend and he went and stayed the weekend away from his house, from his wife, from his daughter. And he went with an old friend. And he had intimacy and sex with this woman. And he says as soon as they had intimacy, he turned around and started crying because he knew it wasn't right. He knew it wasn't clean. He knew that it wasn't what God wanted. He wasn't even a Christian. But he said he was so embarrassed as he was crying because he had let his wife down. He had let his marriage relationship down. He says he came back home and he asked his wife for forgiveness and they got back together again. And he says, Joaquin, I have never been able to enjoy my intimacy with my wife when I was with that other woman. He had cursed his very intimate relationship with his wife by being with a woman he should have never been with. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2, that we're to know these teachings given by God. You know the commandments, and they came from God. It's not the church. Don't try and say it's the way the pastor wants us to live. It's the way my parents wants us to live. It's God. God is the one that has set the standards of purity, holiness, blessing, peace, and joy. For you know the commandments we gave you that came from Jesus Christ. Verse 3. This is the will of God. Your holiness, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. What is immorality, pastor? It's doing things sexually wrong. There's no way that you could enjoy a marriage relationship. This one man came from Argentina. He said like this. He says, I don't like my wife. I'm not attracted to her after 20 years of marriage. I have no feelings for her. I said, young man, older man, Doctor, if you're having sex with your secretary on Monday, sex with, your, with a patient on Wednesday, sex with the bartender, uh, the waitress, cocktail waitress on Friday, when will you be able to enjoy your wife? 
If you're having immoral sex outside of marriage, you have killed your intimacy with your wife. And he goes, oh yeah, that's right. We're so foolish. God gives us the best and we go looking for the mud. God gives us the best and we go looking for the vomit. The Bible says that he who goes back contrary to the teachings of God is like the pig that goes back to the mud. It's like the dog that goes to lick his own vomit. God doesn't want you to feed off of vomit. 1 Thessalonians 4, 2. These are the commandments God had given us. 4, 3 says, this is the will of God, our holiness, to be separate, to be pure. That we should stay away from sex immorality. Guys, if you're spiking yourself with watching videos, if you're spiking yourself with watching pornography, if you're, if you're doing all these things, you're killing your marriage. You're killing your relationship. You're eating Stuff that the devil is feeding to destroy you as a man. Verse 4, that each of you should possess his own body. Have self-control over your own body. If you're not full of the Spirit of God, that's never going to happen. If you don't pray and invite God's presence in your life, you're never going to happen. But if you're filled with God, you'll be like Joseph. Joseph was able to tell that woman, listen, my love for God is greater than your sexual attraction. That has to be. The answer for what we're looking for. That has to be the answer for this man to not fall into this seducing spirit. Your love for God. Each of us should manage our own body. In what, in what form? In honor. Well, what's that mean? Verse 5. Not like they do in the world. And not in the passions of lust. Not like those people who don't know God. They have no choice. And you're just filling your life up with lust and passion and pornography and, and videos and dirty words and dirty images. And, and you're going to fulfill that. Which you're, the Bible says whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. God wants to give us this pure life that is breathed out of a relationship with him. In honor, not like the heathens who don't know God. Verse 6. No man should cheat his own brother. No man should cheat another man. For the Lord will answer to all who do so. The Lord is, you know, I don't, I don't know, but you'll, you'll see that some men will, will engage in this stuff that says, I'm not hurting nobody, I'm not hurting nobody. Brother, you don't know. You're hurting you because the wages of sin is death. And sooner or later, the devil has your number. He has your ticket. And that death, that, that judgment of God surely has come. This football player for the Tennessee Titans, McNair, he had four kids. He's married to his wife, his high school sweetheart, his college sweetheart. He gets married, he has four kids, and then starts having a girlfriend. The Lord blesses him, the Lord honors him, the Lord promotes him, and he goes to find a girlfriend. And his girlfriend says, since you can't fulfill this relationship with me, since you can't go on with me in this relationship, you're not going to go on. So she shoots him in the chest five times. She shoots herself and it's over. He thought he wasn't hurting anyone. He thought there was no problem with what he was doing. But surely the consequences of sin is death. It's only a matter of time. I praise God for what God has given us. I praise God that God says that it's only in that unity of the home that will prevail. In Matthew 12, 25, he says when a house is split, it won't prevail. When the house is divided, it won't prosper. 
When you think you're going to get ahead without your wife, you've already lost on that first thought. When you thought you're going to be promoted as you step on her, you're out of gas. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, any kingdom that's divided against himself will be brought to desolation, to ruin. No house divided amongst itself can stand. You cannot cheat your wife and get ahead. You cannot lie. You cannot be playing games behind the scenes and expecting things to go well. It's not going to happen. And then for those of you that don't know, Matthew 19, 6, God never purposed for this relationship to come to an end. So every time you talk about it coming to an end, you're not talking by the Spirit of God. God says like this, they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God has brought you guys together. It wasn't your husband's idea. He's not bright. He's not that bright. Somebody says, why did God make woman a lot smarter than man? And the scenario is that it was so that they can understand that it had not been for that, man would probably never have walked into a relationship with a woman. And God is the one that's directing us in every affair. And I, I, I still marvel at what his plans are. Uh, and I want to pursue them with all my heart. And as I line up with my wife and I line up in that, in that institution of marriage, that's where God's plans are. That's where God's purpose are. And you know the devil is breaking that. You know he's attacking that. You know that women that are having abortions and men that are pursuing same-sex relationships women that are pursuing same-sex relationships will never be able to give their children the blessing of a mother, the blessing of a father, the blessing of a home, the blessing in pursuing the purposes of God. God could have done it any way he wanted to. This is the design that he made. And when we rebel against God, we stand to live perpetually in a desert. Let's stand this morning. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness in this place. We give you thanks for all the people who have come here today to hear what a world-changing marriage is all about. We pray that we not only hear like Wellington Boone says. He says, I don't want to just hear these things. I don't want to just see them. I don't just want to know them. I want them to become real and I want to live them. I want them to become my reality, Father. And so we pray for each family here, Lord, that we would pursue these truths and these wisdom that we would hear the word of God and build homes after your heart, Lord. And we give you thanks for the prosperity that comes over the lives of those people that do this, oh God. And we give you thanks, Lord, that this is only the beginning for this church. This is only the beginning for this city. This is only the beginning for the world, Lord. As your people rise up to follow you and to honor you and to repent from their sins and walk contrary to the lust of this flesh and to the desires of this life, Lord. We pray for your prosperity and blessing, not in, only in our homes, but our finances and in our children, that they grow up bold and strong after these affairs. And we give you thanks, and the people of God say, amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.